Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1, beginning with verse 4. And as you're turning, uh, let me remind that the children ages 4 to 6 are welcome to go to children's worship training if the parents so wish, or the parents may keep them here in the sanctuary. Uh, all, who ch- all children that go to children's worship training will return at 1035, Lord willing. Well, it's been a long week. On Monday, we mourn the death of a father of a member of our congregation. Yesterday, we buried a mother, a wife, and a member from the congregation. And then came the word that a nephew and cousin of one of our families had been taken at age 13 while family from the congregation was away visiting them for Thanksgiving holiday. We paused and gave thanks to God for all of his blessings to us this week, and rightly did we so do. But three times as a congregation we had to stop and say, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. In such a broken world, in a world filled with such shock and heartache, where do we turn for comfort and strength? To whom shall we go and shall we turn for aid in time of need? To our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, He has given us His Word, written, preached, sung, prayed, and seen, that we might find every grace that we need in time of heartache and trouble. So let me invite you to turn to Hebrews 1, uh, beginning with verse 4 through the end of the chapter. Hear the word of God. Having become much as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which... Of the angels has he ever said, sit 
at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Amen. Let us pray. O our most gracious and merciful Heavenly Father, here we gather again by your command on your day around your word. Lord, we come with empty hands. We come with hearts so full and need in need of your grace and your blessing and strength. And so we ask, O Heavenly Father, that that same Holy Spirit that inspired your word would now illumine it, have it shine in our hearts, transform the way that we think and feel and live, make us more like him, your son, we pray, and we will give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, ever since Jacob's ladder, there has been a preoccupation with angels and angelic powers. Our text this morning is concerned very much with them. Before, during, and after our Lord's ministry, the Jewish people were fascinated with angels. And both their history and the pages of Scripture reflect that fact. Angels helped to deliver the Torah to the people of God. They must be special. And we must be special, too, because of their interest and involvement with us, so they thought. This enchantment provided the perfect circle of mutual admiration. Angels are great. They help us. So we must be great. One back scratching another. But the author of the epistle to the Hebrews has a much more important point to make. Seven times in this passage, he quotes from the Old Testament to make his important point. Angels are good, but Jesus is better. Jesus Christ is superior to all the angelic forces. Now, we have to remember that angels spoken of here in Hebrews chapter 1 are important Creatures of God. God made them. He made them as spirits without bodies. He called them into being. He gave them their strength and existence, even as He has done for us ourselves. Occasionally, angels appear in some sort of bodily form, like Gabriel appearing to Mary, or like the angel who rolled the stone away and then spoke to some of Jesus' disciples and followers, as if he were a gardener. At the end of this book, the author of the epistle to the Hebrews tells us that we sometimes entertain angels unawares. But angels are God's servants. They're his messengers. They declare his word. Particularly, they minister to men on his behalf and at his instruction. And more often than not, they minister the things of redemption to us in ways that we sometimes hardly ever notice. Angels are not to be confused with demons, their opposite counterparts. Demons followed Satan and continue to follow Satan today in his rebellion against God. But angels, 
were and are and will forevermore be faithful. They are those who have drawn their sword in the service of the Lord, not in the service of any other. And the Lord has honored them, has he not? Even as several fleeting times, he was rightly called in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord, having some appearance like them as they appear to men. Oh, Abraham, Joshua, and others, they met angels or the angel of the Lord who soon became referred to in the text as God himself. But angels were passed over by the gospel. They had no need of it because of their perfect obedience to God. But there are brothers in the faith. We both serve the true and living God, our Heavenly Father. God's Son did not take on angelic nature in any permanent incarnational fashion. No, instead, angels serve the gospel. And angels serve the Son of God incarnate in all the phases of His earthly ministry and also now in His heavenly. And angels are not to be underestimated. They fight. They win. They triumph in the end in their struggles over darkness. The angels will return with Jesus at His second coming. We will see Him on the clouds and with His holy angels in power and might arrayed. And they will divide the nations, separating the sheep from the goats. Oh, they will one day throw the evil ones into the lake of fire, and we will all know more of which they were able. Angels are great and glorious. But our text this morning tells us that angels are surpassed in their greatness and glory by Jesus Christ our Lord, who has inherited a more excellent name than they, according to verse 4. Jesus Christ has a better person than all the angels possess. Verse 5 says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Now, collectively, sometimes the angels are referred to in Scripture, especially in poetic literature, as the sons of God, in some corporate sense pointing to the fact that they were made by our Heavenly Father. But no angel is ever singled out in Scripture and given the title the Son of God. A personal accolade of such a level is given not to one of them, but Jesus Do you remember Jesus being hailed by His heavenly Father at the time of His baptism with the words, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased? An allusion back to Psalm 2 and verse 7, here quoted by the author of the epistle to the Hebrews. God never spoke to an angel in that way and owned him as a very member of His family in the closest sort of way. And not only was this true of Jesus, but also the emphasis is upon today I have begotten you. David, the prophetic psalmist, is emphatic by the way he words this, that the true coming of the Messiah is for this day and for every other day after it. He comes begotten of the Father, not just begotten on one day, but showing his lordship and that he is outside of time. His begottenness is eternal. 
Jesus comes from his Father for us because he is of his Father to us. He is the Word of God who speaks and shares the mind and heart and life and purpose of God with us. He is the revelation of God. And so he reveals God's heart to us and all his eternal plan. Jesus is God. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. No angel ever had that boast. But secondly, we see that the author here insists that Jesus Christ has a better status than angels. The second half of verse 5 says, Or again, I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. Here is given a quotation from 2 Samuel 7 in verse 14. In the middle of that memorable section of Scripture which is outlining or declaring, revealing the Davidic covenant to David. It emphasizes the father-son relation. You remember, Nathan the prophet was sent by God to speak to David after David had shared a great plan that he had with him. Oh, David wanted to build a temple for God on the very top of Zion. He dwelt in a palace. He dwelt in a house lined with cedar walls. And and he felt ashamed that God was still worshipped in a tent. He, He wanted God to have a temple suitable for his name. But God, through his prophet, said, No, you will not build a house for me. Instead, I will build a house for you. I will build a great house, not a, not a building. You already, you already have a place, a palace in which to live. But I will build a great lineage, a great family line, a great dynasty for you, God was saying through his prophet. God promised And David could count on the fact that this covenant promise of God would be kept surely and truly. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that great Davidic covenant promise. No one before him or after him would ever truly live up to all of its expectations. Solomon was great. And Solomon was allowed to build the temple of God on the temple mound. But Solomon, as wise as he was, and as powerful as he was, fell so far short of the ideal. He did not love his heavenly father as a son, truly as he ought. David was the man after God's own heart, but so much of Solomon's heart and life was spent, what? Running after lots of women and lots of their strange gods from all around the world. Oh, Solomon is not the fulfillment of this promise. Only Jesus. There was not another as good as Solomon afterwards. There was a a downhill decline, as it were, in the lineage of David, and much despairing in the nation that God's promise might have fallen on hard ground and would never sprout and bear fruit and be fulfilled. But then came Jesus the one who was able to keep the covenant promises, the one who was able to keep rather than break the covenant because of his indestructible life. He was the ground on which covenant promises for blessings to all the earth could be founded. And so his holy calling was one that no angel 
would ever dare take up or seek. Jesus has a better status than any angel in all of history because he is the Son of God. And Jesus has a better right than all the angels. He has better prerogative than they enjoy. Verse 6 tells us, And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him, the Son. Now, you remember that twice, as the Apostle John is seeing the vision recorded in the book of Revelation, the last book of Scripture, That twice near the end of the book, he is so overwhelmed by the vision that he's seeing. He's so overwhelmed by all the words that are spoken that not only can he not get his grammar proper in the verses that he's writing, he's just overwhelmed with what he sees. So he writes one preposition after another, one participle after another. It's as if we're getting sentence fragments because he can't find the period with which to end his sentence. But twice... John fell down and began to worship his angel guide. He fell down. He bowed down before an angel. And the angel responded and said, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and a fellow servant of your brothers. Instead, here the angels are commanded to worship the Son, to worship Jesus in him only, to serve Him all their days. This is a passage drawn from Psalm 97 and verse 7. Jesus rightly receives worship of both men and angels, and they show that He is superior and greater as they bow before Him in adoration and praise. Jesus also has a greater role than angels. And this is an emphasis in the text which spills out and and comes in a flurry of texts, as it were, from the Old Testament, pointing to the superior work of Jesus. Psalm 104 in verse 4 is quoted, He makes His angels winds and His ministers a flame of fire. And so we understand that angels are involved in creation. Uh, They make an impact upon it. Uh, They administrate it, as it were, on some spiritual level, which is too deep for us to understand or perceive with the human eye. But then in the next breath, we hear Psalm 45 in verse 6. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Oh, the angels, they are winds. The angels, they are flames of fire. But the Son of God is declared to be God Himself and to be the Lord Himself, the one who is eternal, the one who is completely holy and upright. To the end of his kingdom there shall not be. His eternality as God's Son is being declared to us in this text. Angels serve in time and space. Angels serve in the created order. But the Son of God, 
The Son of God who was taken on flesh and dwelt among us. The Son of God who was taken on flesh and suffered and died for the sins of His people. His days are from everlasting to everlasting. He is upright from the inside out. Uh, There is no question of His impeccability. He will never fall. And the kingdom can hang on Him as a sure, strong peg with a belt of all His people holding on. Oh, Jesus has a better work than the angels. And this is also declared in Psalm 102 in verse 25, where the work of creation itself is given to Jesus as an accolade. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens of your work, the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish. But you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe you will roll them up. Like a garment they will be changed. But you are the same. And your years will have no end. If God is eternal and the Son of God is eternal, then the Son of God was involved in creation. He has spoken it into being as the very Word of God. And so... His days are without end, even though this world will come to its appointed end at some point. There will be a new heavens and a new earth, but there will be no new mediator beyond Jesus. There will be no new Savior after Him. He is the finality. He is the final and culminating Word of God. The author of the epistle to the Hebrews is declared to us. And so in his three-step argument, Based upon three Old Testament passages, Jesus Christ is seen to be superior to the angels because He made that which they merely care for. He is Lord and Master over that which they minister to and through. His role is superior to theirs because He is the Son of God indeed. And then the author of the epistle to the Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ has a better providence, a better end than all the angels. In verses 13 and 14 we read, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are they not all ministering spirits? sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit eternal salvation? In this final argument, the author of the epistle to the Hebrews crushes any residual opposition. He quotes from that little psalm in the Old Testament, Psalm 110. That little psalm, which is the most important of the Messianic psalms, judged by Jesus' own usage of it, as well as his apostles and the role that it played in his sacrifice on Calvary. Jesus himself quoted this passage, quoted this little psalm when arguing with the Pharisees at the end of his ministry. He notes that if David called him Lord, how is he then his son? 
answering the riddle of the first two verses of this Psalm 110, where David speaks to the Lord, and my Lord is the response. And at his own trial, Jesus makes allusion to this passage. Psalm 110 is something that he takes to himself. He holds it up to the Sanhedrin and he says, This psalm is about me. You shall see me come in power. You shall see me come as I am at the right hand of the Father in power. And so they tore their garments and they pronounced their judgment of cursing upon him. Jesus had thrust them to the very point of the spear. Would they accept him as the divine Messiah, the promised one of Israel, or would they reject him and call him a blasphemer and put him to death for being who he was, the Son of God incarnate? They condemned him. They condemned him who now sits at the right hand of God, His Father. The one who is seated in the control room, on the bridge, in the center and most powerful place in all the universe. Jesus Christ, surrounded now by ministering angels, surrounded in His glory proclaimed by them along with the saints that have gone before. Oh, He sits in that place while the God of providence that He Himself also is subdues all of His and our enemies, He sits, He rests, He waits in that place while angels do His bidding, while angels fulfill His will, while angels travel down Jacob's ladder to earth and apply the things of His life and of His cross, and of His Spirit to men and women and boys and girls like you and me. Oh, they are ministering spirits. They do not sit. They are sent. They go out to serve. Out of the throne room they go. Down the ladder and to the homes and schools and workplaces and hearts of everyone appointed to eternal life. They do His bidding as they help apply these things of salvation to those who are inheriting it. And as they see those saints safely home, for as a believer takes his or her last breath, so they find themselves not abandoned, not in the dark, but in the presence of ministering angels to guide them back home to Christ. Absent from the body, present with the Lord, they're ministering in just the way that God in His sovereignty has appointed. Oh, Jesus, He sits until He receives that signal from His Father that it is time for Him to return with those angels to do all of His work of judgment on that great day. They are ministering spirits sent to labor for our blessing and for our benefit as His salvation is applied to sinners like us. 
Oh, the goodness and greatness of our Heavenly Father. His wisdom that is beyond our comprehension is it not seen in the fact that angels are great and they're glorious, but they're nothing in comparison to His Son, who is the eternal Son of God incarnate, the One who came to suffer and die for the sins of His people. Jesus is far superior. And you and I need Him in our lives. We need His grace, His life, His strength, His comfort. Do we not lack His love and His peace? Do we not feel the need of His joy, even in our mourning? Do we not know that He alone is the one who can outfit and kit us for this walk of faith and life until we're ushered into His presence? Oh, our God is good. And that He has sent us not just great ones, but He has sent us the greatest one of all, even His very Son, eternal, who has taken on flesh and dwelt among us. He takes on flesh and blood even as the children likewise share it, that He might be a sacrifice for our sins, that He might propitiate the wrath of God, that that which we deserve would fall upon His life and back, and that that which He alone deserves would be our blessed and glorious lot. This morning... If you need His life, you will find it here by faith. You will find it in His Word written. You will find it in His Word declared to you. You have heard it even in your own singing of the Word of God back to our Heavenly Father in worship. And you have prayed it even as you have been led. And you have it here soon to be open and displayed for you. The goodness and the means of grace which God has provided, visible. And the elements of bread and of the cup. Turkey and dressing are very nice. But the meal of faith which our Lord lays for us is all the better still. It cheers our hearts. It warms our souls. As we are lifted up by the Holy Spirit to heaven, as it were, to feast upon the life of Christ as we trust in Him, oh, there is nothing in our hearts and lives that is not touched and changed by His goodness. We find ourselves in fellowship and union and communion with God Himself through His Son. And so He invites you to come, to come in faith and to partake. Not thinking about turkey and ham and dressing. Not thinking about football. Not thinking even about family or about grief and loss. But only being captivated in your heart and mind by the one who is superior to every angel, 
and to every other thing in our lives. And in Him, you will find all you need for Christian living.